Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program as we are coming to you from Indianapolis, the NFL Scouting Combine. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you from the Indiana Convention Center. It's connected to Lucas Oil Stadium. It's connected to a lot of things. This whole city is connected. Yes. And we are connected to Nick Casario, who you will hear from in just a few moments here, the general manager of your Texans. But, Johnny, takeaways from the day at the Combine. The players haven't done their thing yet. We've Correct. seen them around a little bit here and yep. there, but they're going to get rolling into the next few days. Yeah, we, in fact, took a walk around uh, probably a couple hours ago as we were walking around looking for some water. We were walking over to the – there's two different rooms that – writers and our radio row are in and so we were going to the writers room to get some water and snacks and such and walked by and saw a couple of players that were in the corridor kind of working on getting stretched staying loose they're going to have their testing i think the first bench press is going to be thursday at about 10 o'clock so that's going to start with tight ends and wide receivers and quarterbacks i'll be interested mark to see how much testing guys do we've already seen Derek stingley not going to test matt corral's not going to throw Quarterback from Ole Miss, Derek Stingley, the corner from LSU. Evan Neal, I don't believe is going to work out. And then I saw where Evan Neal said, I mean, yeah, it was a long season. And then I thought, yeah, you know what? He's right. They played their championship game actually here in Indy. Mm -hmm. And he's here, you know, not even uh, not even two months later. So recovering from a 14-game, 15-game season or whatever it was at Alabama, yeah, the 16-game season, coming in, I, I have no problem with him not doing work. right. Stingley's injured. He's he's still rehabbing injury. I can understand that. And Corral got injured in the last bowl game. So I can understand those guys. But there was so much talk about the, the boycott and what was going to happen with that. I'm curious to see how many guys will decide to test at their pro day. I hope not too many of them do because this at least provides for a good basis of comparison. They're all running the 40s at the same spot. They're all doing the three-cone at the same spot. They're all doing a bench on the same bench. So it just – it just helps to have all that testing consistent. But either way, it's just great to be back. I mean, two years it's taken since – I mean, I just sit at these tables and I just remember sitting here in March of 2020 and doing our interviews and then hearing about this thing, COVID. Like, you know, I've heard about this thing, COVID. Man, I think that's going to hit us. And then two weeks later, the world shuts down. And obviously, things change for us as Texans employees, Texans fans. A few few days later with the, t the hop trade and – how things have changed since, but hopefully we're getting back on track and having Nick tonight is a great step in the right direction. We'll have Lovey Smith tomorrow, which will be fun. Yeah, Lovey Smith will be on with us tomorrow. And earlier in the day tomorrow, around 2.30 Central, is it 2.30 Central or 2? It's around 1.30 Central. Right, 2.30 Eastern. Right. Boy, Indianapolis. Look, it's only one hour, but they don't change in the summer. No, they don't change their clocks. The, all right, so they don't, they don't change at all. Right, 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 right. So when we're here in the fall before daylight savings right. kicks right. in or kicks out or whatever, mm -hmm. we're on the same time, and then now it's different, so yeah. you got to get used to that. Thanks anyway, to tomorrow, 130 Central, Lovey Smith, and you and I will be live yes. introducing that on the various Texans platforms, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, the Texans app. And then – We'll have them on Texans All Access 24 hours from now. But right now, the general manager of your Texans, Nick Casario, and we'll begin the conversation with, hey, this is the first time he's been the GM of the Texans at the Combine since there was none last year. Yeah, I'd say the process is pretty similar. Um, it's really an opportunity to kind of gather information, um, you know, meet with the players kind of on a one-on-one -on -one basis, kind of on a personal level. I'd say the biggest thing are the, uh, the underclassmen. Um, discussions because it's really this first opportunity you have to kind of talk face to face with them. So, um, 
you know, old habits die hard. So as soon as you show up here, you kind of are back in the swing of things. So it's been good. Nick, we've kind of bandied this question about to many people. If the combine moves from Indianapolis, what's lost? I mean, do you like having it in Indianapolis? Or, I mean, if it, if it does move, what's lost by doing so? Yeah, I think the the consistency that we're all accustomed to in the city of Indianapolis. I mean, Indianapolis is a great host. So you have a lot of research. And the way it's set up between the convention center, between the dome, the access to the medical facilities and the hotel locations. Yep. I mean, everything is sort of centrally located. And logistically, it's very easy to kind of move around. Um, I think Jeff Foster uh, has done a phenomenal job here through the years. I have a lot of respect for what he's done and kind of developing and evolving. Um, in the end, whatever the decision is made, you know, then we'll adjust accordingly. I think all of us kind of learned to adjust. But I would say personally, um, you know, would love to see it continue in Indianapolis because I think there's a lot of benefit um, to being here. Nick, what about the interviews? What can you tell us about what takes place in an interview, what you get out of it when you're evaluating? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Eventually, you try to steer it to as much football as possible. So a lot of the background um, that you've accumulated, you've received from the school about their personal situation, maybe their background, maybe their family situation, um, you know, some of the things from a football mm -hmm. perspective, how they're coached, how they work, how they practice, some of their habits. So you have that information kind of, you know, backlog here in inventory. Um, so unless there's something specific, maybe it has an issue pop up or maybe it has an injury history or – they had a discipline issue, you might want to ask them about that and see kind of how they respond to that. And then eventually you want to steer it towards football. And what you're trying to do is, get you know, what do these players know? What are they being coached to do? And realizing everybody's baseline is a little bit different. So when you're just watching a player, and John can probably attest to this, you don't really know what they're being asked to do. You see what they're doing yep. on the field and how they're playing. But what are they being coached to do? What are they being mm -hmm. asked to do? How are they being coached to do? Maybe they are, they're not worried about an adjustment on this route or they're not worried about understanding what's going on on the other side of the ball. That's okay. So you just have to have an understanding of where the player is and just in terms of their overall growth and development. Nick, as it pertains to interviews, you get 45 here and then you get, as we call them, on-campus visits. Will you double up interviews or will you feel like we interviewed them here, <laughs> we've got to spread the wealth, or is that just kind of a case-by-case -case basis as you look at that? It's probably case-by-case, -case, but you're not going to make a decision based probably off of just a 20-minute interaction unless, yeah. the, unless the player is absolutely clean. So yeah. he's blue chip, he's clean, he has all the traits that you want. You're not going to find out anything new in your building that you found out here right. or that you found out from the school. So we walk out, okay, this is everything that we want in our program. Okay, we bring him in the building. Okay. We're not going to find out anything different. Right. There might be some things we want to do, try to simulate, like, what's it like in our building on a day-to-day -day basis, who they're going to be coached by, what's the, you know, maybe you go through an installation or something like that. So there's certainly things you can still simulate. Um, but, again, it's case by case yeah. and trying to figure out, like, what do we need? There's probably going to be different buckets that, buckets, excuse me, that you put these players into, whether it's mental, whether it's injury, whether it's, you know, I'm not, whatever else yeah. there might be. Mm -hmm, yeah. So just have to figure out what bucket that player is in and whether or not you need more information before you make your decision. What about watching them interact with each other on the field while they're in their groups getting ready to do their drills and everything? It's not a true team environment, but it's <coughs> sort of a team for a few days, if you will. It is. They're around each other for four or five days, and there's relationships that are probably developed. Um, you know, have some teammates that have played together, so maybe it, this environment is a little bit different. They're kind of away from their campus, away from their school, or they've seen another player from afar. I mean, a guy from Georgia, you know, with a player from Ohio State. Maybe there's a mutual respect and understanding. So I think they're all trying to learn from each other. Maybe there's something they can pick up from watching somebody else. So 
But say those interact, you can really gain a lot from just watching and observing and just to seeing, you know, what the interactions look like. Maybe one is a little bit more assertive and a little bit more, I would say, open to a leadership role, takes a little bit more ownership. One's maybe a little bit more reserved, kind of worried about himself. doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just you, different personalities start to take shape. And ultimately, they're going to be potentially, they could be teammates here on their next on their next team. Nick, we take all the workout stuff with a grain of salt. That's something we've been talking about. Look, he ran a 40. It's great. Fantastic. Any drill that you look at and go, this one's important. I don't know. Important is maybe not the right word. But is there anyone that you look at a little bit closer than any of the others? That's a really good question. I think certain drills are more applicable than others, and I think they even the combine has kind of changed some of the drills yep. specific to different groups. The one drill which you can see kind of on both sides of the ball, so it's the skilled players offensively and the skilled players defensively, is the gauntlet drill because yeah, yeah. they're running full speed. Yes. Their ability to catch the ball, adjust to the ball, can they keep stride, their hand-eye coordination, that's a really good drill. So the catch and tuck component, catch it, put it away, turning it up the field, mm -hmm. Do they have to slow down because you can kind of gauge their comfort level. Yep. You can improve catching the football. What's harder to, I would say, correct or improve for a defensive back is maybe his ability to turn and find the ball yeah. down the field. But that the gauntlet drill is a really good drill yeah. because it simulates catching and running through traffic at a high speed, which is going to happen on a field on Sunday. And those passes have to be thrown very crisply and on time, right? They do. I actually threw the, some of those passes <laughs> back in the day, so <laughs> it's been a long time. But <laughs> All right, so the 40. I'm obsessed with this, with the corners and the receivers, the speed guys. I always thought it should be its own event in prime time and have the lights and everything. That would be fun for the fans. But, Nick, tell me the difference between how you value a 40 time and football speed and the importance of such. No, you have to – look at those things and there's a lot of data and a lot of measurements that you can take so you think a guy is fast so you're watching a guy think he's fast okay then he runs fast okay the player's fast you watch another player i'm not sure how fast he is okay he runs fast okay so where's the delta what's the difference so one this is not a knock on the players but they spend a lot of time training for these drills training for this for mm -hmm. you can improve your 40 speed and your 40 time so ultimately, whatever his time is, does a player play to that speed or does he not play to that speed? Because football speed is football speed. And the number of times on a football field where a guy is actually going to have to run 40 yards, it's a pretty small percentage. Mm -hmm. So one of my point of contentions on the offensive lineman has always been why they run a 40, I have no idea. Because they're really, it's a true measurement for them, is 10 to 20, somewhere yeah. in that range. Because they're moving in a shorter area. So how much force speed you know, can they exert in a short area with the number of force? Because they're going to have to push and pull and try to move somebody. So it's yeah. not about how fast they're running. It's about how quickly they can displace the guy across from them. So speed is speed. Is a fast guy fast? Or does a guy you're not sure how fast he is, does he run fast? Okay, then we have to kind of be able to fill the gap here a little bit. It happens all the time. Guy runs 4-3. There's no way in hell you thought he was going to run 4-3. <laughs> you watch him play, and he's 4-5. Yeah. Okay, so what does that mean? So, Because, again, to just go from a stance and run four straight ahead 40 yeah. yards, the amount of times it actually happens is minimal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As you guys are sitting there watching 40s, and I say you guys, I mean scouts and the people that have watched these players all year, 
guys at the line, are you guys going, he's 4-6? No, 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 he's 4-5. Are you guys sort of taking side bets to see who's yeah. going to run, what he's going to run? And I think the ones that are really good don't even need a clock. They'll watch a guy yeah. run and go, all right, man, he looks this. like he ran a 4-5-2 or something yeah. like that. And it comes out, and you're like, oh, okay, all right, <laughs> there we go. Nick, one of the signings you made just a couple of days ago is somebody that we talk about on the air – but we don't talk about, in a sense, that he's really made a play because it's really never been a negative play, and that's John Weeks. How important is it to bring Weeksy back? Yeah, John's been a stalwart for this program for a number of years. Um, you guys have been around him more than I have, but very professional, um, a lot of very well respected on a team. Been in one place for a long period of time. I think he certainly made some improvements from 2020 to 2021, just in terms of some of the things that we asked him to do from a coverage standpoint. Made a number of tackles on punt coverage. And you can't be good in a kicking game unless you have good specialists. Yep. So I would say the relationship between John, Cam, and Kai, that's an important relationship. They're all pros. They all work well together. They're all coachable. And they're looking for ways to improve. And John certainly falls into that category. So excited to have John back um, and look forward to him continuing to grow and improve on the things that he did last season. It's an interesting job because you can have a great door, but if you don't have a good hinge, it doesn't mean anything, right? He's the hinge. He's that maybe a smaller link in the whole thing, but if he doesn't do his job well, disastrous things could happen. Absolutely. So whether you're covering a punt, you know, mm -hmm. or the timing on the punt, like that's important, extra point, field goal, like those mechanics that are involved and in that, I would say, flow and working relationship between that group is you know, it's pretty important. So... We see guys in training camp try to long snap, right? And how off are they from weeks' time to get the ball to the putter? Or you know, The putter is the most important thing, really. Yeah, the placement is really the biggest thing. Okay. There's guys that can put it back there with pace, mm -hmm. but it's the actual placement, you know, for mm -hmm. whether it's the, the holder on the field goals and extra points or whether it's the punter. Because, excuse me, there's a timing element involved from the putter in terms of the catch, in terms of the placement terms of his depth does he come off the spot so it's i want to say it goes it's it's really important and when it becomes more magnified is when it doesn't go well <laughs> and that can lead to disaster yeah weeks he's pretty accurate i know because he's buzzed the tower on me when i've gotten too close on the sidelines when he's practicing <laughs> snaps the very first game i ever did he got that close to me it was just to send a message so the accuracy yeah. <laughs> part is is no doubt how Nick, how far or how long does it take you walking down the hall here at the combine before somebody's grabbing your shoulder and saying, hey, have I told you about my particular client? Agents grabbing you, people grabbing you. Hey, let me tell you about this guy. How, long, how, how often is that happening to you while you're here in Indy? Not as often as you might think. I think what I try to do is you have certain relationships with agents that you've kind of cultivated through the years, and, you know, you certainly want to have a dialogue with them. I would say personally I'm not a big, like, have – 50 meetings with agents yeah. and kind of go through their list like we know who their list is I know who their list is I have a document that's organized by uh, agency group yep. so and you're not going to be interested in every player but there's certain groups or certain maybe they, that person has a high volume of players maybe you want to go through to kind of get a sense of all right yep. what are you hearing what do you think what are you looking for okay got it you know what maybe we were interested in that player thought we would be but you know what he might be out of our, our, our range or yeah. we're not going to be at that level. Okay, eliminate him and go to the next guy. So I think that's the benefit maybe of some of those interactions and discussions. Yeah, because the social aspect is big here as well, right? Everybody getting together. Now, another related question. 
how far can you get down the hallway without bumping into somebody you know yeah. from the past? Because <laughs> it's less than one degree of separation yes. between everybody in this league, especially when you're in this town at this time yeah, of year. Yeah, they're not all here just yet. And yeah. Sometimes my route is a little bit more security, so I kind of <laughs> stay off to the side. You so know your way. I try to stay out of harm's way. But it's always good to kind of see people that you're familiar with and sort of reconnect. So it's going to come at different points. So, But always excited the opportunity to kind of see folks that you know, you've had relationships with. Well, you did a little media tour, and you were on with Pat Kerwin and Jim Miller. So you have a history with Jim, right, with yep. the Patriots? That's right. That's right. Yeah, one year, or I think it was one year. Yeah, he was our backup quarterback or was in the quarterback room, you know, the one year. So Jim, Chris Sims, yeah. you know, yep. worked in our scouting BFT. department mm -hmm. um, for a year before he became a big media star. So. <laughs> <laughs> big media star. Marcotte's over there laughing at that Every time I go to Telstrate, Marcotte's listening to Chris Sims. I'm like, man, turn Chris off. So we know we know where you got it from. Now, Rich Eisen, every single combine, he goes and he runs a 40. And he does it for charity. It's a great event. It's a great cause. If you had to run a 40, what would you run right now? Could I be a five flat? I hope, I think. That's pretty good. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not running a 40 anymore. I'm, yeah. Peloton versus <laughs> climber to some other yeah. aerobic activity, but I'm not running a 40. Those I days mean, are over. You're not the only one, my friend. All right, a couple more for you. Lovey Smith will meet with the media Wednesday. So tell us about your relationship with Lovey so far as you guys have been working on this offseason, getting the Texans better for 2022. Yeah, Lovey's very open-minded. He has a, a philosophy and a, a certain way that he wants to do things. Like he spent a lot of time on the schedule, kind of planning out the spring and even kind of going into training camp. So everybody kind of has an understanding of kind of the things that we want to do. So spend a lot of time on that. And then we've spent time talking about our players. And I've, I'll always update him on some situations, different situations. Hey, we're having a discussion with this player. You know, just trying to prioritize the players that, you know, we want to bring back or are trying to bring back and just make sure, like, we're bringing the player back because there's mutual interest. It's not – well, I want to bring a player back, and, you know, we're not sure where we are from a staff standpoint because that's going to be counterproductive. But I would say he's very open-minded. Um, he's definitely flexible. Um, he's got a great way about him. Um, so the communication has, has been has been really good to this point. So excited to be able to work with him and the staff that we have in place, and hopefully we can just make some progress and start building the team out here as we go over the next couple of weeks. Excellent. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. There's GM Nick Casario. Johnny, takeaways from the conversation with the GM. A, I think he – he likes coming on with us. Like you can tell, <laughs> he's he's very comfortable. That's the most important thing. He likes to laugh and joke. But the one thing that always he said this the other day to us, and he reiterated what this is about. And it's about information. I think there's also a word. It's funny because because Belichick is the one that I actually think about this. Belichick's famous for saying, "Do your job, do your job," and he's reminded people over the years that there's a word missing, and it's "do your job well." Yep. Which oh okay. Nick's talking about information. The one word he didn't say, but he knows in the back of his mind, is trusted information. Because you're going to get a lot of information, but what's important to you is the information that you can trust coming from the right agents or agents you're familiar with, people that you're familiar with. Uh, and I think the other thing, and we've talked about this a little bit, is we look around this room and the radio row that we're in, I I mean, obviously, our, our group is here, but y you look f with the different teams and you're like, oh, I know that guy or I know that guy. Or I, mm -hmm. you know, Max Starks was over behind me today who had played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I coached against him when he was at Lake Highland Prep in Orlando. Wow. And we spent 20 minutes talking about those days and growing up. And I find out he's cousins with our good friend Trap J, Travis Johnson. 
Had no idea. Jeez. And so you start finding out the connections to people you have. My buddy Brent Martineau from Jacksonville is to our right. So you just have this connection with everybody. And then you've got Nick Casario who did an interview with Chris Sims. Well, Chris Sims was scouting assistant for the Patriots. He did an interview with Jim Miller and Pat Kerwin on Sirius XM Radio. And Jim spent a year with the Patriots as a backup quarterback. <laughs> Used to sit behind Nick on the bus. And you realize, man, he's been in the league, not as a GM, but he's been in the league for 20-plus years. His tentacles just reach everywhere. It's right. just kind of amazing how many people we know. And then you go to his side of it, and it's like, man, he knows a lot of people. Which, to my point, is those people all provide some sort of information, and it's sifting through it all to find the information you trust and that you can then rely on. It's a strange phenomenon here because you run into so many people, and I don't mean to name drop, but I will. Yeah, it's cool. You run into so many people. I ran into Brian Gain, of course, uh, former Texans general manager. That was on the way here because a lot of people connect through Houston on the way here. Andy Bischoff. Yeah. Former Texans tight ends coach from last year is now with the Giants. Yeah, now with the uh, former University of Houston Cougar, Thomas McGahey, who's the special teams coach for the Giants. He's a mm-hmm. buddy of mine. I played summer basketball with him uh, way, way back in the day. So I've known him forever. He was on a plane with us. So Good friend yeah. of Andre's yeah, as well. absolutely. Yeah, so you run into people all the time. That was just getting started. Charles London yeah. we saw yesterday. So uh, and we're just getting started here. We're going to see a whole lot more people as the week goes on. And as we said, as Nick said, hey, it hasn't really started yet. I mean, for us, it feels like it starts because for us, it's a media convention as much as anything else because you're reconnecting with a lot of people from their markets and you want to get to know what's going on with them. Now, we're about to have a guest on the show that is really interesting, and he's not exactly a household name in Houston, but he's dealt with so many household names in sports. Yeah. Nelson Luis. Yeah. This is interesting. Yeah. He was the Rockets director of media relations when Yao came in. Emma Grady, of course. Right. Uh, until what? Through the 2013 13, postseason. Yeah. So he was there for Ron Artest coming. That big, that big three coming together. Yeah. And the and the Rockets finally getting off the schneid and winning a playoff series for the first time in a long time when Artest and company yep. uh, got it done with Yao. But then Yao gets hurt in round two. He was with the PGA Tour when Tiger was getting super hot in the late 90s and 2000. He's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming off the Super Bowl championship from a year ago. So let's catch up with Nelson next about Houston sports history, what's going on in Tampa, his perspective on things, really interesting stuff on the way here on Texans Radio. At the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Now, for a guest, you don't know him well, but you know his work well. Let's just put it that way. He's the former director of media relations for the Houston Rockets and was there when the Texans got started. He's now vice president of communications for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's also been in the PGA he was with the Bucks before that in the 90s. He's worked with Lovey Smith. We got a lot to go over with Nelson Luis. And Nelson, quite a journey it's been in your sports career. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's been a pretty cool uh, sports existence for me in terms of uh, starting. You know, I was born and raised in Tampa, so for me, the Buccaneers were the team that I grew up watching. Uh, it was awesome to be able to get a job coming right out of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went fr- right from an internship into the uh, you know into full time position with the Buccaneers, uh, and then had a great opportunity to be out there on the PGA Tour as a media official for two and a half years before the Rockets opportunity came up, and then that was 12 years of my life. First time you know being in charge of a department and uh, getting there at a very unique time, I would say. Uh, in Houston sports. 
Dealing with Houston media, how tough is it actually? No, no, don't answer that question. <laughs> no, no, I want him to answer it. That's <laughs> a good gonna, question. You know I'm going to give you the politically correct answer. Yeah. You guys are the, great. The Houston yeah. media was fantastic. <laughs> I know. I know they're all. But during that time, I mean, the Rockets going through transition phase at times. But Yao comes to the Rockets. What was that like? Because it was more than just Houston media at that time. Because I know I moved to Houston in 2007. I remember the first time we went up to the game. And the first time I'm up at a game, there were like seven seats devoted to Asian media. And there was like one for us. And I was like, Nelson, why do we only get one seat? What was that like having Yao there and having to deal with the number of media requests and things of that magnitude? It was an amazing experience Uh, for me. Uh, as I said earlier, I was, you know, I was joining the the Rockets at a time where, at the, you know, at the time, they were a team. They were in transition after the, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon yep. era and Steve Francis, and so I get there. I think we lost, I don't know, 15 or 18 games in a row. It was a it was a horrible stretch there. My first year that got us the opportunity at pretty yeah. pretty slim odds still to get the number one overall pick. But when we grab, you know, when we got that uh, that lottery balls, those lottery balls together. Uh, it was uh, it was life changing for me because all of a sudden I went from just you know okay I'm gonna go run my department for the first time ever to I am thrust in the middle of an international story and it yeah. was white hot it was white hot there was so much interest uh, you know CNN on a daily basis just a- every major outlet yeah. uh, every step that he took was chronicled uh, and there was so many sort of you know areas that we had to be very careful with. Uh, just because of the sensitivities involved, mm-hmm. um, he was, you know, unbelievable to work with. So it was, it was an honor and a privilege to work with him. Um, I can't say enough about my time with him. He was one of my absolute favorite people that I've ever worked with. Former Rockets director of media relations Nelson Louise and current Tampa Bay Buccaneers vice president of communications with us. All right, so I can identify with Yao in this way, Johnny. Not that I'm always going to make it about me. No, it's okay. But you know I will. Well, because I started in Houston around the same time, right, when you got that number one pick in the draft. And I I seldom have rooted for a player so hard as I did for Yao Ming. I wanted him to be successful. In those early days, it was a little clunky right in the very beginning, but there was some breakout stuff not long after he started, right? And you started to see the signs of how great he could be. Because I remember a lot of the local media saying, if he's as good as Rick Smith's, that'll be fine. (laughs) But he got a lot better than Rick Smith's over time. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember, you know, those first few games, everyone sort of like shaking their heads a little bit like, you know, is he going to get there? Is he going to be able to live up to this incredible hype? He had so much pressure on him. Um, I've never seen an athlete handle that kind of pressure with that kind of grace and dignity and – uh, you know, always, always had a one-liner at the ready to, to sort of divert some of the, you know, some of the pressure that he was going through. But you're right. He had some of those moments, some of those, uh, you know, as I, I look every once in a while, not so much nowadays, but there used to be a period of time there where you'd see the, the year of the Yao, that documentary that yep. they made. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's always cool to, to sort of look back at that and, and see some of those really interesting times that we went through. That first matchup with Shaq. Uh, yep. There was such a buildup. It was uh, back then. David Carr. I remember uh, mm-hmm. going over. Uh, he was there for our shoot around. It was that that day was was just an amazing spectacle. The what number a, of people there for that shoot around. What about Colin Pine? How did he come into the fray? And along those lines, you went through an education process with the local media. How did you get educated on how to handle? Yeah, I remember things as basic as. 
You don't call him Ming. You call him Yao. Right. It's not a last name it's, or in, in the traditional sense. All of that stuff. His name was always wrong on the score uh, on the stat sheets. It was <laughs> it was wrong like the first two years or so of his playing. There were there was always problems with the uh, with the system putting putting that stuff in. But you know, honestly, uh, he was an amazing player in that he you know he would do two, three, four media sessions to every one that every other player would do, right? Because he would do he would do something in Mandarin. Then he would, you know, so he'd have his group of usually what, six, seven, eight yeah. uh, members of the of the Chinese media that would be there as beat writers. But then he would do the locals and then, you know, if that was a shoot around, then there'd also be pre game and then post game. It was and for him, you know, just always classy, always you know, again, regardless if we had a great game or not a great game, um, just always handled it with such class and was such a pleasure to deal with. But he really did, uh, from my perspective, like he was prepared for that. You know, he was prepared for that stage. And, and when he first got there, I was nervous. <laughs> I remember being there at the, at the airport looking at him, walking through this thing and seeing just tons of every news outlet in, in Houston and, and others that had flown in to get that first shot of him coming through the airport. And uh, I just thought to myself, is he, is he going to be up for this challenge? And he was so, so up for it, you know, so up for it. He was now, just. Nelson, they're obviously different planets, but yet seemingly in the same solar system. So how did your experience in dealing with Yao and helping Yao get accustomed to everything in Houston and you dealing with that, how did that help you when Tom Brady becomes a quarterback down in Tampa? Like I said, we know they're different. Tom's not doing an interview in Mandarin, but we know obviously what goes with Tom and the national and local uh, acclaim that goes with him. How did that help you having dealt with Yao? Did that help you at all with Tom, just kind of that experience that you had something to draw on when you were dealing with him? Absolutely, I, I think so. You know, it's, it's interesting. I joke around with some of my friends sometimes that I'm almost like the Forrest Gump of sports PR guys. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was, I was on the uh, – I was the Buccaneers when, like, Warren Sapp was drafted and Derek oh, yeah. Brooks, you know, some of our Hall of Famers. Yeah. But then I go to the PJ Tour and Tiger Woods is white hot and he right. is, you know, the thing back in you, – when you're talking about 1999, yeah. 2000. Um, and then I go to the NBA, and I've got Yao Ming, and then I end up back in the NFL with Tom Brady. So every one of those experiences you dr you learn from and yep. you draw from, um, there was definitely, you know, the one thing in the NBA I think sometimes you can, you know, not every single day is a big news day yep. in the NBA. There, are, especially at the beginning of the season, yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, the NFL is in full swing, and you're really just trying to get your footing until a certain time of the season, and then that becomes the NBA part of the the sports schedule. Um, in the NFL, every single day can become something big. In the off season, and the, you know, you can be on vacation, and there's a big news day. Um, this past Sunday, I was on my couch, and all of a sudden, Ali Marpet was retiring, and for us, that's yeah. a big, that's a big news day. Yeah. So, I, you know, I learned a lot from the Yao experience because you know it put us on center stage everywhere we went every day. Mm -hmm. So that kind of prepared me for dealing with something like Tom. I mean, Tom Brady can make news. Uh, anywhere he is, yeah. you know, he can sneeze and it makes news. Correct, correct. Tampa yeah. Bay Vice President of Communications Nelson Louise with us, also Rockets, former Rockets Director of Media Relations. All right, so Tracy McGrady, he wasn't in the top 75. That's ridiculous, in my opinion. Ridiculous. I mean, you worked with him. The guy, I know the playoffs didn't go as well as we needed them to, but my gosh, one of the greatest players I've ever seen. Absolutely, he was phenomenal, and and I think that. Uh, you you almost 
just took it for granted how great he was at times. Uh, I think the injuries for him, you know, the back injuries that he was dealing with, and uh, he was he was struggling through at least the, at the, the the end of his career when I was with him there. Um, I think that was, you know, that definitely hurt him overall. But just a great player, and and I loved my time with Terrence McGrady. I, that that time when when Yao and Tracy were together um, was some of my favorite career time that I've that I've had. It was, uh, you know, just. Phenomenal play. I'll never forget the, what was it, thir uh, 13 points in however many seconds. Yeah, 35, 35 seconds. Uh, that thing was amazing. I, you know, I look at that and, and just think to myself, when we had the 22-game winning streak yep. Um, yep. where Yao was out for a while and Tracy was out for a while, but this, this group of guys that we had, Shane and all these guys, it was just it was a really cool time. It was really fun. You know, mm -hmm. when I look back at those times, I always smile. Now, so when was your last year at the Rockets? 2013. Okay, so let's throw the third component in there. With yep. Yao and Tracy, of Ron Artest, who I think was still Ron <laughs> yeah, Artest at the time. He was then, right? Yes. How did that change things once you once that volatile young man was thrown into the mix? Right. Yeah. It's funny. I was uh, obviously, as you could imagine, as the PR guy, quite a bit concerned. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just you know, we were you know, it was still pretty fresh in a lot of people's minds what had happened and you know previous to uh, to his arrival in in Houston. And I'll tell you, Ron actually he was different for sure. He was he was yeah. a different kind of cat, but Honestly, I had a good relationship with him yeah. and um, pretty much kept it on the fairway as much as we could with him. And, you know, for the most part, there weren't hopefully, you know, I, I don't that I know of anywhere. Not too many crazy stories that uh, they came out. And um, but again, he was another big piece to the puzzle for us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had Dikembe, who was amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my he, you talk about another one of my favorite athletes yeah. to work with. Um, he was just and, and just an amazing humanitarian and just. I think Yao learned a lot from Dikembe um, and, and just sort of, you know, his life after basketball, you can see he's done a lot of humanitarian things and he kind of has stayed in the mix on that kind of stuff. But but back to Ron Artest, he was he was a fun guy to deal with. Um, and, and again, I mean, we you know, we never got much further than like a second yeah, round of the yeah. playoffs, but it was really, um, you know, it was, it was a really cool time, like I said, to, to be with those guys. If Yao doesn't get hurt against the Lakers oh, in round man. two, who knows what happens right. that series. Right. That like, might have been the most crushing blow uh, because that happened during our radio show, and the news dropped, and I just remember, like, for ten minutes, we didn't, we didn't even know what to say. We just kind of mumbled. Sean Pendergast and I were doing a show together. We just mumbled at each other. Yeah. Just mumbled, like, we had a chance. We could have done this. Yeah. This could have been us. And then he gets hurt. Yeah, it was that, just that was, rough. was that rough. All right, Lovey Smith. We've lived with him for a year now as defensive coordinator. Now he's the head coach of the Houston Texans. What can you tell us about working with him in Tampa Bay? Got nothing but great things to say about Lovey Smith. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, my my unfortunately brief period of time to work with him a second time. Um, I was actually with Lovey when he was on Tony Dungy's staff with the Buccaneers right. back in the uh, you know in the the mid '90s before I left. Uh, but Lovey was, you know, I think you guys are going to have a very good coach that's going to really get everything put together um, and give you guys a chance every every week. He's he's really for me, you know, I, as a PR person when you're working, you know, there's certain things that we've got to ask of, of our coaches. He was always good with the media. He was always doing what, you know, what, what you need him to do. You need someone that has that presence and that sort of, I mean, when Lovey Smith walks in a room, you know it. You know, he, he, he his presence is there. And um, I think you guys, you know, you, you ended up with a really good coach and you're going to you're going to you're going to reap the benefits here. Yeah, quite the personality at quarterback, but you also had quite the personality at head coach. 
What's B.A. like to deal with, Bruce Arians, new head, or the head coach of the Bucks? He is super cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's really no other way to put it. He's just the coolest cat out there. He, he really is um, very low-key. Uh, when it comes to the media game, he gets it. I mean, there's there's times that I'm trying to catch up to him. Like, okay, coach just did this interview. I didn't realize that was that was happening. He's, yeah. You know, he's got so many friends in the media. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's really, you know, for us during this last couple of years, it's been exceptional, right? Like we went from a team that was just sort of out there as one of 32 to all of a sudden the last two years really had the spotlight on us. Yeah. And uh, so many requests that come in and so many things that, that you have to ask of your head coach. And just he's he's amazing to work with, amazing to work with. Nelson, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Loved uh, having an opportunity to sit down with you guys for a few minutes. All right, Johnny, I knew that Nelson Luis on the marquee by himself, <laughs> the name might not really ring too many bells. Right. But all his experience with Lovey Smith, Yao Ming in Houston, winning the Super Bowl with the Bucks, Tom Brady, handling Tiger Woods or yeah. part of the PGA contingent that did in the late 90s, early O's. Really interesting stuff from him. Really fun to catch up with Nelson. He was with the Rockets when I first got here in 2007 and could not have been more accommodating, could not have been more fun to work with. When he went to Tampa, I didn't realize that he, A, was from Tampa and B, had been with Tampa earlier, but his comment about Forrest Gump was Holy smokes! He was with the Rye. He was with Lovey uh, and Tony Dungy when they and Warren Sapp and those guys when they won mm -hmm. the ring and around that time in 2002 that he's with PGA. And then uh, it's just incredible to think about all the different places he has he's he's touched along the way. And I can only imagine being around Yao. I always thought that was such just a crazy instance because my first time I ever went to a Rockets game, Mark, as a you know covering the team. I remember hearing, look, we only have one seat up on the on the row. You're going to have to stand from behind if you end up going with somebody. And usually we had like two or three guys typically go. I was like, okay, why? Well, then I found out because the whole row of like 20 seats yep. was Asian media from Houston all mm -hmm. over the world, all those seats. And a lot of the times it was at least 50%, 60% filled with people that were there covering Yao Ming. It was unbelievable. Like Nelson had to do all of that. It was just nuts. Like he said, every game was an Everyone. event because of oh. that guy. And then you had the Texans starting up at the same time. You mentioned David Carr being at a shoot-around or whatever yeah. it was. And I remember meeting Yao once, and I was introduced to him as the voice of the Texans. He totally understood what yeah. that all meant. I yeah. mean, Yao was super sharp, obviously, uh, and he spoke English apparently well enough early yep. on, but just to be sure they had yeah. the interpreter. And Nelson mentioned, and I'll stop here on this one, Nelson mentioned the movie The Year of the Yow, which yeah. I highly recommend Very because good. that's a piece of Houston sports history right sure there is. because you see all the media guys in the background and everything, and it's super cool. Anyway, that was Nelson. Johnny and I have some thoughts on the combine coming up next. We have big guests tomorrow like Mike Keith of the Tennessee Titans. He's the voice of the Titans. Matt Taylor is going to join us this week, voice of the Colts as well, and many others to visit with you right here on Texans All Access. Here in Indianapolis, NFL Scouting Combine, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Check out HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app for everything about the Texans today. Nick Casario's stuff is up there. We had him on the show earlier, and that'll be on the Texans app soon enough. Johnny, I'm going to give you a question that's been thrown at me a lot today. Other than the obvious, what are the Texans' needs? What do the Texans need to do with the third pick in the draft? Look, you reduce it to that kind of simplicity mm -hmm. when you're being talked to by media from other cities, sure. right? 
Obviously, it's something we discuss in Houston, but I don't know if we discuss it enough. You have the third pick in the draft. Right. All the other stuff seems to overshadow this. You have the number three pick in the draft. What do the Texans need? What are you telling the out-of-towners? Well, a lot of people <laughs> go ahead and say, well, we know the Texans need a lot. I'm like, yeah. they're You know, when people do draft needs, they're like, Texans needs everything. I don't think you can go wrong with fortifying your lines, whether it's edge guys or one particular edge guy in Aiden Hutchinson or going the offensive line. I just feel like creating what Lovey Smith would like to create and what Nick Casario would like to create is a physical football team. And I think you can do that with a couple of the offensive linemen that are up at the top of the draft. They're talked about Iki Aquanu from NC State, Evan Neal from Alabama. Um, Neal and Aquanu are three and four respectively in Harris 100. I, I think that highly of them. I think the other thing also is just playmakers. Mm -hmm. I mean, who makes plays? And I love Kyle Hamilton. He's number one in the Harris 100. I would love to see him in Houston. But if you're able to bring Justin Reed back and you have J.O. coming back, then maybe that's not as high a priority need as it is to fortify the offensive line. And obviously George Warhop's coming in as the offensive line coach. Hal Hunter is the assistant line coach. And I got a feeling they want to they move people off the ball. Now, coach said it with us. He yeah. said, look, you're not going to knock guys four or five yards off the ball every play. Exactly. But you've got to be able to be in the fight, latch, drive, and attempt to just get some movement and stay on those blocks to allow your running backs to make some move. But if you do that, then you've, you've got a couple guys up front that are people movers that can create space, displace people in Evan Neal uh, and Aki Aquanu. And I know people have asked me, well, okay, they're both tackles, right? So what does that mean about Laramie Tunsil? And honestly, I'm like, I, honestly, I don't really care. Evan Neal played guard his first year at Alabama. And Aki Aquanu, for a long time, heading into 2021, was thought to, well, he'll move to guard. I don't think he is. I think he's a right. tackle. But if you had to move Aki into guard, you could do that too. And then you've got a line with Tunsil Howard and Aki. Tunsil Howard and Evan Neal. Now you got the makings of something really darn good at that particular point. So I think they get big. I would love Kyle Hamilton. But if they're able to do something in free agency of the safety position, then – then maybe Hamilton, maybe Hamilton's not there. It's a high pick for a safety. So that's the thing, and that's what we have to stop doing, and that is Call, putting, calling him a safety, calling a guy a safety, calling a guy a tight end. Mm -hmm. How much does that particular player impact? Yes, safety is his position. Right. It's his true position, but there's so many other things he can do. Like what position did Tyron Matthew play? What does he play? Does he play safety? Does he play nickel? Does he play all of them? I think if you have position versatility and you could play all of them extremely well, which I think Kyle Hamilton could do, he's more than a safety. But you can't put all those different slashes when you put it into, you know, the Harris 100 because Anoff and Amanda get really mad at me for that. So you got to pick From a position. From our digital team. Yeah, so you got to pick a position, safety. Well, you look at tight end and you're like, how many different tight ends have we seen over the years? What type of, you know, Gronk, Brevin Jordan, and Steven Anderson all play the same quote-unquote position of tight end, right? But right. they're all three totally different guys. So I think the same can be said in some sense for a safety because a safety could be asked to do a lot of different things. And the same with Neil and, and Aquanu. They can play cat tackle. They can play guard. So you've got some position versatility with that. They're just freaking monsters. And as far as Hamilton goes, dude's 6'3", 221, and runs like 
the wind and hits like a Mack truck. I mean, that's almost as big as a linebacker in today's game. Why would you not want that yeah. on your team? Yeah. Uh, well, look, I'll take them all. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'll take them all, Alex. I don't think that's an option, though, but we'll see what happens. Uh, combine coverage continues on Wednesday on HoustonTexans.com as Lovey Smith will be live at 1.30. And you'll see him on the website, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you want to watch him. And we'll have him on Texans All Access as well, an exclusive visit with the head coach of your Texans. Thank you, everyone, for being a part of tonight's show. Have a great evening, and go Texans!